Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Before we are going to finish up this morning, our our series on taking another look at the mission of our church, the mission of this church right here. Uh, our mission statement is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant the harvest. And so we're going to finish up the look at this mission statement. I, I deem that it's important from time to time here that we bring this whole statement back up and we look at it again collectively with one another because in reality uh, what we should be doing is try to run everything we do through uh, the mission of the church through the mission of the church and so we're going to look at it again today and then again again please don't forget next week brother willis is going to be here him and sister willis are going to be singing he'll be preaching he'll be tremendous and you don't want to miss that in our am service and unless the lord changes my mind between that time and then the following week I'll probably be starting another series on Sunday morning about the six things that God hates and the seven that are abomination to him from Proverbs chapter number six and so uh, just kind of forecasting that out there amen for anybody that might be interested amen hallelujah our mission Ephesians 4 verse number 11 I want to start with verse number 11 read three verses of scripture today the Bible states these words starting with verse number one and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. The word perfect there just meaning a mature, a mature man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we're going to take in scope of consideration today the last phrase, really, the rest of our, our mission statement, equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest will be our focus here this morning. If you'll help me pray today that God would touch us afresh, Lord, I come to you this morning. God, your word is forever settled in heaven. God, it's sure, it's firm. God, it's unmovable. I pray, oh Lord, help us to derive perhaps some principles and Lord Jesus, God, some knowledge from your word today for application in our personal church family, Lord, of our mission. God, that we, Lord, center, Lord, the life of the church around. God, touch the hearers today, Lord. God, minister them in their lives. God, help us, Jesus, just to open ourselves up to your word this morning. And we'll not fail to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name. And so the journey through our mission has been this, where we are at, where we are staged, is that we have loved people as God loves them. We have shown compassion upon them, which, again, is more than just uh, recognizing that something is needed, but it's following through and doing something. And so we have done that. We have, we have won. We have won these souls by different venues. We have understood that we have been given the word and the, the word of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation, that we are the agents through which God now draws people unto himself. We are the agents on the earth for that. And so they're one. So many, I'll say many, not all, but many uh, places of worship stop at that stage. They're one to the church. They're converted. I mean, what possibly more could be needful? What possibly more could be necessary? I mean, we, we, we went out and Christ, you know, the heartbeat of Christ was to seek and save that which is lost. And we have sought and we've been instruments of salvation. And so now they're saved, you know. Put it on your lapel, said and done. 
But it don't stop there, does it? I mean, if we could put it into terms that we can absolutely identify with, how many of you conceived a child and birthed the baby and said, I'm a parent. I did it. There you go. Squirt. Right? Get on with life. Have a great life. No. We all, some of you look at me like I'm an idiot. Said, Brother McGee, you just don't know what you're talking That's not the way it works. Because if that was, if that was the way that it worked, then there would be more fatalities than there are today with babies. And there would probably be a lot more immature adults than we currently have in society if we just conceived a child, gave birth to the child, and the child was just on their own. But if that works in the natural world, then there should also be some mirroring or paralleling of that in the spiritual world of the church, and that is the church exists for saving souls, but not just for saving souls. All right? That's a part of our existence. That should be a very chief part of our existence, but that isn't the only reason why we exist, because whenever you've loved and you've had compassion and you've won that soul and now you have a newborn babe in Christ Jesus, we should not just leave them over to the side here to flounder around on their own to try to seek out their own way and make it. But there are development stages. As there's development ch- stages in our own children, there are development stages in a newborn babe in Christ Jesus. And there are disciplines that need to be placed in their life just as there's disciplines placed in your children's life as they grow older and older. And you do all that. Why? As a parent, you do all that. You teach them certain things at certain stages, things that they'll understand at certain stages. And as they get older, there's more responsibility that's placed upon them as they mature and as they get older because you hope someday that whenever they leave your house, they'll be a responsible adult and represent the family name well. Right? And so if we want... Uh, new babes in Christ to grow and mature in Christ and become functioning Christian adults and represent the family name well, then we're going to have to take some of the responsibility of implementing discipline and implementing, if you will, some teaching uh, for them at different stages in their process living for the Lord. Uh, Because in reality, uh, there's there's not too many success stories of, well, uh, the baby just lived and it was abandoned after birth and it lived. Right? There are not too many of those success stories. And it usually don't live without somebody coming along, finding it, and helping it along the way. And so we don't need to be abandoning any newborn babes in Christ because the, the likelihood of them succeeding is not well. Amen. And so we want them to grow into Christian adults and preferably mature Christian adults. (laughs) When's the last time you came across in the real world an immature adult? Did that get under your skin a little bit? Huh? Is that like you wonder where were their parents when they were growing up? Some people wag their head the same way over adult Christians. Where was the church at? Did they ever learn anything? Well, I didn't really mean to get. I mean, it was beautiful outside when I came in today. Amen. Sue Mallory says this. She says, the point of church growth is not to collect new people and cage them with church programs. She says, the goal of church health is not to fatten up church members for show. She says the church exists to equip people in order to release them back into the world, grounded in truth and community, and being dangerous then for the sake of the gospel. In other words, it should be, it should not only be the desire of the church to win souls, which is a part of our mission statement, amen. It should not be uh, the desire of the church to win them so that they will become, and everything I say today, I'm saying with spirit love, but it's not our desire to see their new babes in Christ uh, just then to become a spectator in a pew during then the rest of their years of I'm saved now. It's not for them to become 
a part of the audience and the bleachers and allowed then Christianity and church just to become a spectator sport for them. It's not our purpose at all. But Christianity doesn't need to, to, to become that, and I hope it hasn't become that. But we need to somehow get into the place where after they have received the Spirit of God and they've, they've, they've been born again in the water of the Spirit, that now they become a part of the church mission and process that now they become one that's doing some of the loving. They're, they're now becoming one doing showing the compassion, and they are now reaching for new babes in Christ. Amen. It's, it's that they get to a place now what they have received and what has been shown to them by the church. They now become part of the church and they do some of the showing of the love and the compassion and searching for the new souls. It should be a cyclical thing, a, a cycle that continues over and over, not just to become a spectator. Uh, the old analogy used to be years ago whenever they talk about football, they gave a definition of football and they said really the reality is this. It's 22 men that's down on the field that desperately need some rest, and then there's about 20,000 in the grandstands that desperately need exercise. You got 22 people that's doing all the grunt work, uh, running from one in the field to the other, and there's others that's out in the bleachers that really need the exercise that's doing uh, armchair refereeing. If you, oh, that's wrong, shouldn't have done that. Right, shouldn't have run that way. No, you should have didn't. You should have ran rather than passed. One of my favorite statements I ever adopted from Pastor Boyd when we were in Florida is this one. I'm going to say it all my days, so learn it well. Everybody knows how to skin the cat except the one holding the cat. What that means is this. Whenever people are given certain uh, job responsibilities or functions in the church, everybody else will have an opinion of how that job function should be carried out and how they should do it. Because it's easy to do that whenever you're not the one responsible. It is. You know, the, the proverbial, I, I'll just pick on. Uh, Fred and the, you know, the proverbial. Well, if I mowed the lawn, I wouldn't have done it like that. Well, guess what? We've had, all right, guess what? We've had opportunities for people to volunteer to help mow the lawn. So if you'd like to do it differently on a certain weekend, sign up. Thank God for people that work in the church. Thank God for, for Sister Tiffany and, and Sister Sarah. They clean the church. I tell you what, I've seen some cobwebs over in the corner. Do you know how many corners are in this church? <laughs> if I was vacuuming, I'd have, got, I'd have vacuumed up those cobwebs. Well, everybody knows how to skin the cat except the one holding the cat. It's easy to say what that 300-pound man down on the football field should be doing. From the bleachers with your hot dog and mustard going down your chin and your big Coke in your hand. That'd be another thing if you're 120-pound something was staring into the eyes of a 250-pound something. Maybe what you would actually do if you were placed in that position. I guess the essence of the story is that sometimes it's easier to be a spectator. Than it is to get on the field. But we are commissioned in the church to get on the field. Get on the field. Because the church is re represented in many places throughout the word of God. It's represented as the body. Is it not? The body of Christ. The body of Christ. It tells us over and over again in the book of Corinthians that the body has many. Everyone say many. It has many members. And those members, here's the thing, they are functioning members. Yeah. The members are functioning members. There, there is no member that's just there for show. 
All right? There's nobody walking around with a left hand and the digits on it. And God just gave you that because it looks good. It is a functioning member in the body. It makes a, contribu a, a contribution to the welfare of the body. And so make no mistake about it this morning. Every person that's a part of the church is a, here we all, we all, we all fall under this umbrella. Every member that's a part of a church is in a certain regard a taker. We are. We are. We are a taker. We require something. We require something. Amen. Hallelujah. But a distinguishable trait as well, as far as members in the body, they might take something. They might need oxygen. They might need blood, you know, to, to these different things in our body. They are takers. But the thing is this. They also have another side to the coin of them. Not only are they takers, but they are also contributors. They're contributors to the body as well. And so the optimum scenario is, is that an individual would both both take and con contribute and probably the best scenario would be this that they contribute more than what they would require we got a holiday on monday <laughs> and so here's how it works the the footprint and i'll talk about this church the footprint of the first apostolic church our impact in the kingdom of god can grow greatly Amen. At the stage of our mission statement, at the equipping stage, at the equipping stage, we can increase our impact in this community, our impact in the world at the equipping stage. Because if we got 10 people that we love, show compassion to and won them, if we got 10 souls and we won them and we added them to a church, let's say a 50. All right. That's grand. But if we never equip those 10 to, to uh, replicate what they experienced. We never teach those 10 to replicate what they've experienced. They become 10 people that have salvation, that sit on a pew, that are going to necessitate and require things, be takers. But if we never equip them to replicate and to become c contributors, then we've really shrunk our footprint. Because now we have... Ten new people that are taking but not contributing. Yeah. But if we take those same ten people, get them, we love them, have compassion for them, they get one, and then we further develop and equip them. Now there is a certain element. Still they're going to require some things, but they can contribute. Now we don't just have... 50 contributors, we have 60 contributors, and you've just increased the impact and the influence of the church within the city of Mount Carmel and more so in the world. Amen. And so our mission, yes, save them, but let's also equip them to go do what we have done. So I want to say amen. Because we don't want them to leave undeveloped. Amen. Undeveloped. Because to do that, to do that, folks, we will have grown. We will have grown in quantity. But we will have still yet failed in quality. Amen. And so we want both quantity and quality. And that happens when the ones you win, you develop. The ones you win, you equip. Amen. Someone say amen. And so the crux of the matter for us this morning is this. A church does not equip. Here's what it takes. And this is, this is a big thing for everybody. Whenever I say this word, this is something that's going to touch a nerve in everybody. Platform and out there. Here's what it takes. It takes an enormous amount of, are you ready for it? Are you ready? Time. And there's nobody here that has any. You hear it all the time. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any time. I don't have enough time to do what I need to do, let alone do something else. Right? I don't have enough, don't have enough time. But it takes time. It takes time to equip people. It takes time to develop people. 
Uh, we, we, those of us that are involved in our leadership uh, sessions on the second and the fourth Sundays of the month, we'll tell you that. We get here at 415 on the second and fourth Sunday in the month back with our administrative pastor, Brother Mason. And we are trying. That's what that's what's going on down there back there, equipping and developing, if you will, of leaders. And so the, the hope of the process is this, is that whenever we have reached a stage of development and equipment, that we'll be able to multiply that through our individual lives. And so the circles then get larger rather than Brother Mason having 10 more people back there. It's so that that in my, and this is not just that, but this is biblical so that we multiply through that means. And so there's this developing, but it takes time. Most, most, most second and fourth uh, Sundays of the month, you're going to find us back there. It takes time. Somebody would probably like to have a little later nap on Sunday. Are you serious? But it takes time, and you've got to be intentional. You've got to be intentional about it. And so uh, in order to develop these souls, it takes time to develop these souls. And we, we have, there's excellent, like what Brother Mason is doing, there's excellent practical resources, but there are also resources here within the church on the spiritual side. There is the Holy Ghost and there is God's word. There are excellent tools to help form them. Amen. Uh, but, but most of the time, outside guidance is needed to know how to apply those things. I've reached, you know, they get infused with the power of the Holy Ghost. Brother McGee, the Bible says the Holy Ghost will, will guide you and lead you and teach you all things. Well, you know, that's tremendous. But sometimes people got to learn even just how to hear the Holy Ghost. Uh, what I'm saying is there's some very practical matters as well, amen, that are needful and necessary for them to become just from being a saved person to becoming a working person in the church. Amen. And so when we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, and he, and he, the he referred to in verse 11 is Christ. Christ gave these differing rows of ministry of, of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. He gave these different rows of ministry. Amen. The Bible says here in Ephesians 4. And there's one thing that all, all, all of these have, all five of these have in common, and that is, whether it's a prophet or, or evangelist or pastor, they all have some type of interaction with the Word of God. Each of these in some way, in some means, maybe differently, different, different ways, uh, handle the Word of God. All right? They handle the Word of God. And so we ask ourselves the question then, how else would these rows accomplish? How else would they accomplish the perfecting, what the Bible says, the perfecting of the saints if the saints were not for the Word of God? If it were not for the Word of God that these men handle. They have been given to us. These rows have been given for the perfecting, the maturing. That's really what it means. The maturing of the saints. How is that to take place if it's not for the Word of God? All right? That these people handle. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 16. I got to run. I feel like I've been dragging my feet here. Let's go. Amen. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16. All scripture. Everybody say all. all. Is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable. Look at it now. For doctrine. For reproof. For correction. For instruction. Can I say Training. In righteousness that the man of God, and now Paul's talking to, to Timothy here, his protege in the gospel, Timothy who's going to become the pastor of the church of Ephesus, so he's calling him man of God, but this applies for men and women saints of God, that the man of God or the saints of God may be perfect. That word there in the Greek is that they may be equipped, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is for instruction all scriptures for instruction that we might be equipped that we might be developed someone say amen and verse 13 ephesians 4 tells us the overarching goes that we are trying to reach with the perfection of the saints the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry and the bible says for the edifying of the body of Christ. Someone say amen. amen. Verse 13. Till or until we all come into the unity. Here it is. Verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of 
Christ. So, they've been given the word. It can be used for instruct. It'll bring us to the unity of the faith or the unity of, of, of the belief, if you will. It will bring us into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it will produce a perfect man or a mature man. Amen. Which means we have reached or at least come to a place where we are emulating the standard of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has set before us. But how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we get there? It's through and by the word. Through and by the word. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up. Everybody say grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Someone say amen. In other words, it says we're going to have a group of people that are not, not kids anymore, but they're going to be a mature Christian adults. They're not going to be kids anymore. And here's going to be an indication that they're no longer kids. They're not going to be constantly taken by a false doctrine. By the next thing that blows by, they're not going to jump on that horse and ride it. He said, kids, you can influence kids all days long. You can influence them to do things, honey. I mean, why? Because it's something new, something fresh. You can be persuasive enough. But an adult, you cannot do that. Why? Because they planted their flag he says, so children, man, they'll be tossed to and fro, carried about. He said, but whenever we grow into adulthood by the word of God, we're not going to be taken by false doctrine. We're not going to be taken by craftiness. We're not going to be taken by deception because we've been equipped. We've been developed by the word of God and by these men, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists that handled the word of God who have been speaking what? The Bible says the truth in love. In love, the truth is the word of God. This is, our, this is our vice, this is our device, if you will, for development. The word of God. Please do not underestimate the word of God in your life. Amen. Someone say amen. Because by it, we may grow up in him, in Christ Jesus, in all things. The Bible says. And so the Bible says in John 17, 17, sanctify, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word of God is the truth. When men handle, here it is. When men handle the word of God rightly, it will provide, listen to me, it will provide an environment for the growth of that man in all things that pertain unto God. It will. It will. 1 Peter 2 and 2, he said it like this. As newborn babes, he said, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Growth of a soul does not happen without the word of God. Maturity of a soul does not happen without the word of God. Of God, that goal of being like, emulating, if you will, Christ in the life of an adult, mature child of God does not happen without the word. And so with that being said, if you find yourself, you know, they, they do testing. There's certain things that happen through our school programs, you know, at certain stages, at certain stages in a literal child's life. They, they're, they're checking certain developments. They should be at a, a, you know, certain pound. They should be growing at a certain, there should be certain development, cognitive skills, things that should be taking place along the way. And if they are not, then they're sensing that there could be something wrong. Uh, even in the school system, you know, if they've not met certain criteria for the next grade, they are held at that grade next year so that they can develop what is needful and what is necessary. I, I, I am, I am a purporting this this morning that if we are behind in our development stages in the church, it could be somewhat linked to our exposure to the word of God because it's by the word that we will grow. It's by the word that we will grow up into him to become more like him by the word. And so if we cheat ourselves in a moment 
of the word of God being promoted through teaching and preaching and however else it may happen, then we may, in a certain sense, stunt our development in the body of becoming a mature Christian. So look, look at the way that, the way that some have inver- interpreted Ephesians 4 and verse 12 has been based upon its punctuation. That, that, that these, these ministerial roles of, of pastor and, and teacher and evangelist and prophet and apostle, that these five different roles were, were used for three main purposes, for the, the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying the body of Christ. That, that those five, they were for all that. They were to perfect the saints, they were to work in the ministry, and they were to edify or build up the body of Christ. But whenever I read this, this is not necessarily three items that relate only to the five rows of verse number 11. But this is a series of progression. Are you listening to me? This, can you put that up there? You got it up there. You are awesome, Sister Rhonda. It must be that polka dot outfit this morning. Amen. <laughs> You'd have to be in our conversation at the back. Nevertheless, this is a series of progression. These are building one upon the other. Amen. One building upon the other. Now, these five rows, these five rows equip the saints of God by the word of God for the ministry. All right. The perfecting of the saints. Uh Uh-huh. The five are used for the maturing of the saints. And then it's a series of progression. Then the saints. Work in the ministry because they've been developed. They've been equipped. And so now the saints work in the ministry. And as a result of an overarching result of all this, there's the edification or the building up of the body of Christ. I talked about this before. Amen. It's, it's not to say that a pastor uh, cannot equip and cannot work in ministry and cannot edify the body of Christ. Amen. Because we understand ministry to just be service. That's what it is. Ministry is service. Amen. A pastor could do all of those things. But here's the thing. And I'm not putting any cotton in, in my own you know, chest here. Amen. A pastor could do all of those things. But he should not be the only one doing those things. He should not be the only one doing those things. Amen. Because we get the multiplication whenever you you take those pastors and teachers and evangelists and such and they invest in those ten souls I was talking about earlier and then those ten souls go forth and do the work. I guarantee you, you can go further with the work of ten men than you can one man doing ten different works. That is true. The, the paradigm of years ago, and it was there, and it still exists in some place. The paradigms of years ago, amen, is that, 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 that the pastor did everything. And again, I'm not up here trying to, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking for your vote, okay? Amen. <laughs> but the pastor did everything. The pastor was supposed to mow the lawn. The pastor was supposed to clean the church. The pastor was supposed to teach the Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning, Sunday night. The pastor was supposed to run the van and knock on doors. The pastor was supposed to arrange and get together all, all of the, the potlucks and make sure there was a sign-up sheet. The pastor was, I'm serious, was supposed to visit the hospital, pray for the sick, bury the dead. The pastor was supposed to, and that's what he was supposed to do. Job description of a pastor, you needed about five or ten different degrees in order to even be a pastor and there's some days he still feels like you need quite a few but nevertheless what I'm saying is this but that isn't the dynamic it's that all these people that handle the word they're for the purpose of perfecting the saints for developing the saints and then when we get the saints developed the saints are going out doing some of the work that the pastor would have done if he was alone and that's the reason why around here we have brother Fred and a team of him they mow the lawn we have a group of people that come in and clean this church I don't do it honey if I see something on the floor I'm going to pick it up I'm not below it I tell you that right now I'm not below it but we have people in the church that need to be more than a spectator on a pew they need to be in the trench working doing the work of the mission and that's a great opportunity that's a great uh, the body is functioning hands and arms and legs and eyes and ears it's all functioning that 
That's a reason. Many don't know if that's a reason here. A couple Sundays here on Sunday afternoon, I've had Brian Roberts. Amen. I don't see him right now, but I've had Brian Roberts here on Sunday afternoon. He sealed our bathroom floor. It never got sealed, so he sealed it. He went in here. He painted the baptismal rooms again. Amen. He's going to be putting up trim and putting down the thing in there for that. And what is that? That is somebody doing the work of ministry. Doing the work. I don't have to be here when he does it. I don't have to be here when Fred mows along, although sometimes I'm in my office studying. What's that? That's me doing what I need to be doing. Him doing what? Look, it both gets done at the same time. We need you. The church needs you. Amen. So these rows for the perfecting of the saints. The instrument tool that they use is the word of God for the developing and the instructing. And we have practical sides as well with what Brother Mason is doing. There, and the way that he handles uh, new opportunities that come up. He's very practical along those lines. It's not that he's given you uh, some sanction speaking in tongues over you. Bless God, you're going to clean the church. Holy Ghost, I'm on money, I'm on No, there's some real practical things. This is what we expect. Okay? Say, so, well, I'm a saint. Yeah, you're a saint. If you've been taken out of the Adamic nature of Adam out of that line and placed in Christ, you a saint. You don't have to have so many miracles contributed to your name or anything like that. You a saint. The second four in verse number 12, F-O-R. The second four in verse 12 is referring then to the saints. See, all these five rows are for the perfecting of the saints. Now the progression next here. Now the saints are for the work of the ministry. And then the ministry, the service that they rendered, what's it for? It's for the edification of the totality of the body. <laughs> They're for the work of the ministry. Then the the edification of the body of Christ. And so you say, well, so when you really look at it, then go backwards. Edification comes from the saints doing the work of the ministry. But edification also comes from those five rows perfecting the saints. And so it's not like they skipped out on edifying the body. They edified the body by developing the saints to do the work. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. So everybody has a hand in edification. Yeah, everybody has a hand in edification. When we look at Acts 6 and the Grecians were being overlooked with the rations of the food, and the disciples got together and said, what they say? We said, we need to find seven men that can do this. Were they saying they can't do it? No. They could have done it. And evidently up to that point in time had been in some measure doing it. Do you know what they said? Said, let us give ourselves to prayer in the ministry of the word. And we'll find seven people can overlook this matter. What was going to take place? There's going to be seven people that they would develop, that they would invest in, telling them how to take care of ministering to the Grecians and those others with the rations of food. They were going to be doing their work because they developed them. And while they were doing that, they were still going to be giving themselves to ministry. Both of those things taking place simultaneously. And the end result at the end of the day would be the building up the body of Christ. Now, here is absolutely, here, we got to spread the load. we got to spread the load. Could you imagine your heart not only being part of your circulatory system, but your digestive system? Are you hearing me? Being part of several different systems rather than circulatory system. That get just a little bit. I don't think I want my heart to deal with the circulation of my blood and also deal with my digestion. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because the thing is, it's probably going to be successful one and not successful another. The old saying is this. If you have, if you have too many irons in the fire, they all can't get hot. Amen. They all can't get hot. And so we've we got to spread things out. We've got to spread things out. 
there's roles and there's functions that, that can take place and, and happen. So the body is edified when all of its members, all of its members, all of its souls are functioning and working properly in their particular placement. And the Bible says that God placed them. Ephesians 4.16, the Bible says, from whom, the whom is Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. I like that. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part. That's work of ministry. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. In other words, whenever this whole body that is fitly joined together, whenever we work in connection with one another, and you supply what you're supposed to supply. And I supply what I'm supposed to apply. Supply. Whatever measure of work, whatever my responsibility or job function is in the body, then it brings increase to the body. And it brings edification. It brings a building up to the body. And here's the thing. If you build up the body, you have built up yourself because you are part of the body. You invest in the body of Christ. You have invested in yourself. Maybe not directly, but indirectly. You have invested in yourself when you invest in the body. Now, a misunderstanding of verse 12, again, is where that old paradigm comes from. That the pastor does this, that, and everything. So, we need to switch to the biblical paradigm. The biblical paradigm. D.L. Moody hit the nail on the head when he said, it's better to put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. I'm in agreement with that. There's times I think, I, and I'm not talking about around here, I'm just in life in general, even outside of the church world, there's times I think I've tried to do the work of more than one man. And it, let me tell you, it's stressful. It's a headache. It's frustrating. Now why, why do that? We do it sometimes. For one, for me, sometimes I do it because I don't know how to say no. Okay. And he said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Take care of it. Will you do that? Yeah, I'll do it. I have five other things to do, but that's all right. I'll do it. You understand? Yeah, some of y'all really understand. I just walked into your garbage can. <laughs> now. Those five rows are for the perfecting of the saints. The word perfecting can also be translated in their equipping. And it is a word. Here's what it is. It is a word that means to, listen to me, to make something or someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. In other words, the basic idea is it's that of putting a thing into a condition in which it ought to be. This word, this equipping word or this perfecting word was used in the elements in this culture of, of mending nets and in, 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 and in the terminology of even setting bones. And in both, both instances, whether it was mending nets or setting bones, whenever you do that, things are put in order or adjustments are made to items that are out of adjustment so that they can what? Gain use again. Gain use again. Uh, those that are mending the nets, they're decluttering the net from the algae or from the debris that's come upon them. And uh, they might even literally be mending holes that are in the nets. Why? Because they want the net to be able to be used again. The setting, if the bone, they're, they're putting in alignment the bone. They're, they're binding it up with some way, some wrap or some cast in some way so that it will heal. For what reason? So that it can function. So that it can be used again. Greek authority, J.H. Thayer says this, that that word means to make one what he ought to be. And again, this requires, I've said it before, but this requires the word of God. We grow thereby at different stages of our growth and development in the Lord. We grow thereby. We are qualified for different ministries, different works of ministries at infant stage of Christianity. Than when we are a more mature Christian. Does that make sense? 
at an infant stage of Christianity, you might have certain responsibilities and works of ministry that you can delve into. But as you mature as a Christian, there may be greater responsibilities that you can delve into as a Christian based upon your maturity level as a Christian. For that matter, some of that is just tongue and groove connected with what is expected of the work that you may be doing. Anybody today, if we were to have right now and go down, let's say, to the football stadium, we were going to cook for the football team, anybody in this church, anybody in this church could go down there and flip a hamburger. Anybody in this church go down there and flip a hamburger and make a hamburger for those people. Now, the person that flipped the hamburger down there, that could be anybody. Now, if you was going to come up here and sing a special on this platform, based upon your Christian maturity, you may or may not be able to do that up here. The reason being, we have some guidelines. Some of our guidelines for our platform, what we expect on our platform, they are absolutely 100% biblically based. And there are others that are simply preference of this assembly. Preference. Case in point, just a case in point, one of the preferences that we have laid down, and it's just a preference, is that we desire that our men that stand on this platform to be clean shaven. That's our preference. Did people have beards throughout Scripture? Yes. Did Jesus have beard? Yes, absolutely. We read over Scripture. No problem with that. But when you step on this platform, a preference of this church, one that has been the preference since Bishop was pastor when started, one that was the preference of his pastor before him and his pastor before him. So what we got is not just even a preference, but this is a tradition that's been handed down that even Paul speaks of in the New Testament, that you don't only forget the word that we spoke to you, but you remember the tradition. And so as a tradition, as a preference, we just want you clean-shaven if you're up here. That's our preference. You say, well, bless God, you have no right doing that. Well, you go find you a job that there's not some preferences they have. Uh, and I'm not being mean or ugly. Please, please don't miss her. I'm not trying to be mean or ugly, but let's, let's just think. Let's just think. And so that's our preference. You may go somewhere else and they don't have that preference. That's fine. That's up to them. But this is the way that it is, and this is the way that it is. And so I'm saying at different, and so you say, well, why do I need Christian maturity for that? I'll tell you why, because here's, here's where it's at. Because then in order to be up here and you to be clean shaven, then you'll have to submit to the preference of the church, and that takes maturity. That takes maturity. And so that, that was just, that's just a, just a case, just a case in point. Amen. Now, so souls are ready for the work of God once they have been trained by the word of God. And again, there are, there are aspects and facets where there is practical training for the work as well. But, and, and a person is only as good as their tools, you know. It's like we want you to go out here on a church work day and, and we want you to wash down. You know, you, Brother Ethan has done it before. Wash down this roof. And we gave him a power washer to do so. Now imagine if we gave him a three-gallon bucket and a toothbrush. Now he's still going to be on the roof. <laughs> he's still, many days past work day. He's going to be on the roof. So yeah, a, a person is only as good as their tools. And so part of it is us providing the proper tools necessary uh, along with trading and tools in order for you to do what you need to do. Uh, a person, you know, they, they can't. <laughs> Lord, I wouldn't want to do that with a toothbrush. You better have a big head on it. That's the only thing I know, I'm telling you. <sighs> but although there's the practicality of tools and stuff, none of that, though, supersedes the spiritual training of the world. That being said, here it is. You could have people come in the church that are so practically trained to do something in the church the moment they come in. They, let's say it like this. They could be a CPA. They would be very capable, perhaps. Let's say they even have a religious slant to that degree. They could be very capable of taking care of the books of this church. But if the spiritual aptitude, if the spiritual aptitude is not where it needs to be, I don't care how, how secularly trained they may be, and that fits the work. It doesn't fit a Christian God-spirit-led work unless the spiritual aptitude. 
You bring me someone here that's taught in a college for 10 years. That's great. I'm not going to send them back here into a classroom and teach people, and they don't even have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't care how many years they got to their name of teaching. Honey, we're talking about spiritual eternal truths here, not just temporary truths. You understand? And so the word in this field of work, of Christianity and God-led work, the word prepares and helps also to train for the work. And so uh, just natural practicality doesn't supersede, does not trump spiritual aspects. The Bible says in James 1 and verse 23, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, and it stops there. And what we deduce in our minds, what comes out our mouths, if any be a hearer of the word, and we deduce from this, not a doer of the word. Isn't that what your mind does? Isn't that what, does your mind do that? Be not a hearer, but a doer, and we insert in our mind, of the word. The implication is being a doer of the word. He is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the, look at the word now, work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And so what I really, really understand here is this. Hearing the word prepares us to be a doer, as verse 25 says, of the work. Hearing the word prepares us to be a doer of the work. And so the work of the ministry of the saints should, e should, should be equipped, if you will, is equipped for, for us to be edifying and building up, if you will, the church. They should be trained, yes, they should be trained um, for construction, uh, for planting and for harvesting, for construction, and not or destruction for pulling down and tearing down. You got to be careful how we do our training. We got to be careful who's doing the training. We can bring those ten, here's, here's the dilemma. We can bring those same ten souls in, and we want them to do the work, right? We want, them to, we want them to be involved in the work. That's going to enlarge the footprint. We don't want them just to be spectators. But if they find themselves under the wing of an unauthorized mentor, and they find themselves under the wing, let's say, of a gossip, boy, we got a whole different training program going on. Because now, instead of having one gossip, we got ten gossips. Amen. And so it's, it's important. We want them to be trained for construction, not deconstruction. Amen. It's been, and here's the thing, it's been my experience, the experience of those that have even went before me of those that went before me, that trouble, trouble, or de 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 deconstruction in the church of the living God happens when someone in the body, here's where it goes. You know when it happens? It's whenever they have too much time on their hands. Too much time on their hands. Whenever there's people got too much time on their hands in the church, not involved in some type of ministry, they are the ones that will critique how everybody else is doing their ministry. They're the ones that will come up the idea, you know what, Pastor McGee, this is what we should be doing. And we say, okay, run with it. No, I don't have the time. And they got the time because they had enough time to think around and come up with the idea. And so I found out a lot of, a lot of the trouble that stirs at times in a church, it happens people that have some idle time. They're thinking too much, and it's not about spiritual things. They're thinking too much, thinking too much. They become a negative voice within the church. That's another reason why we need to develop them to put them in a work so that they have their time occupied, and they're doing it for the edification rather than the deconstruction of the house of God. Amen. But the fact of the matter is this. I understand this. I'm not ignorant. We cannot equip people who do not want to be equipped. We're not going to force some aspect of church work on you. I'm not going to do it. But this whole process in Ephesians 4 is based upon the first verse in 
the book of Ephesians. It said in Ephesians 4, the very first verse, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, look at it now, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Not talking to two separate groups of people here. It's bringing clarification to the saints at Ephesus. They were the faithful in Christ Jesus. They were the saints that were seeking what God was wanting for the body. What God was wanting for the church. We want souls to be equipped to plant and to harvest. We want them to practice what they have been a product of. And so whenever we delegate and we empower uh, people around a common mission, a common vision, a common strategy, a common cause, what that does is releases then the ministry to people who are gifted, called, equipped, and developed in those areas to lead ministries. We release them to ministry, and that's very liberating for the church. That's liberating for everybody. When you've been given a ministry and you release to do something in it. And here's the thing, the way that we organize most things, we're going to release you in a ministry with guidelines, but with the latitude to function how you desire within that in other words we're not going to cross every t and dot every i for you we're going to give you some guidelines but you're going to have latitude within the parameter that's set and so that is very very liberating and here's the thing that is the way the church should be run amen it should be run that way sue mallory said this and i gotta hurry stand with me so i can shut up please sue mallory said because i'm not going on with this series i'm shutting it down today Sue Mallory said, our purpose is to help people discover their own burning bush. I liked this. And then we throw gasoline on that burning bush. You know, whenever God came to Moses, spoke to the burning, you're going to be the deliverer. She says, now we just throw fire on it. I mean, like, yeah. We want to find that nerve of what, that, 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 that thing that you can supply, and we want to fan the flame, or we want to blow the wind in yourselves in that direction. Paul told Timothy, who appears to be, again, the pastor of the church at Ephesus in 2 Timothy 2, 2, and I close with this, and these things that thou hast heard of me, Paul says, among many witnesses, he says the same, Robert, I say the same, the same, commit thou to faithful. Not necessarily educated, not necessarily those who already have the know-how, but faithful, faithful men. Who shall be able to teach others also? And here's something that I know about faithfulness. You can preach faithfulness and you can teach faithfulness. But faithfulness ultimately is something that you got to catch. I can't teach faithfulness into you. I can't teach you how to be faithful in reality enough that this is how you do it and now you do it. No, you, you got to catch it. You, you, you just got to. Drive your stake. You do. You got to drive your stake. And so while he's saying we can bring the word and we can teach the word and we can also have the practical aspects of it, then we need some people that will make up minds and commit to being faithful. And he says those are the ones that you hand these things to. Those are the ones that you give. You listening? Those are the ones that you give these to, the faithful. And that's the reason. Listen to me. Please, please, please. Listen, 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 listen to me. Because here is like principle in my life as a pastor I try to abide by all right we put faithful people to work we do not try to use work to help somebody become faithful I have lived by that law in all of my days and it will not change I am not going to because doing that this is my my concept right or wrong This is my concept. Doing that is like putting the carrot in front of the mule. That the carrot's always got to be there in order for the mule to move. But you remove the carrot and the mule balks. What I want is a mule that moves without the carrot. And then I'll give him the carrot. Because when the carrot's not there, I know he'll still be moving. Because if if I were to have to give you a teaching position... To show up and be faithful to church, that's grand. And oh, look what that's done for Brother Terry. What happens when you're not a teacher? Are you going to stay at home? 
You put people to work that are faithful. You don't put them to work to make them faithful because that will only make them faithful as long as the work's there. And so that's the way. That's the, my DNA strand has that written on it. That's the way we try to operate, and it's biblical. God went and found Moses. He was somebody that was already faithful. He's tending the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. Mm -hmm. whenever, whenever the prophet Elijah went to find Elisha, he is plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He's already doing, he's faithful to something. Huh? So I, this is not just something I pulled out of my pocket along with my lint. This is biblically based principle. Brother Mason, if you can come. So we're thus winning those souls, and we're equipping them to be sent out to plant and harvest. So we're just trying to replicate what was done in the former part of the mission. That takes development. That takes instruction. That takes the word. But doing so, we have that beautiful picture then of the perfecting of the saints, the saints then for the work of the ministry, and then the work of the ministry as a result and byproduct of that, there's the edification, the building up of the body of Christ, the body of Christ. Hallelujah. If we can just bow our heads in this place. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's F-A-C-M-C. Thank you and have a blessed day.